Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome inside the latest edition of Across the Cavs. He's Noah Nightingale. I'm Zach Weiss. We're talking conference finals. Celtics versus Heat. Kevin Love, let's go. And in the other series, we got LeBron James and the Lakers against Nicole Jokic and the Nuggets. More to come. This is Across the Cavs on Network 216. All right, folks. Welcome back, Noah. It's been a minute. Last time we talked was trade deadline. First question has to be, we talked about the Lakers and everything they did, but did you actually expect them to get this far? No chance. No chance. I actually did a favor for myself and checked back on our last podcast that when we talked about the Lakers and we raved about how big of a winner they were and what Rob Palenka did. And yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think too many people expected this to happen, but the fact that they're here is is, is absolutely crazy and has a lot to do with uh, what they did at the deadline. And for your Celtics, they're facing the Miami Heat. They're a number eight seed, obviously. Kevin Love is there. I'm, probably, I'm only going to do this five or six times. That's it. And for <laughs> anyone listening on the audio version, it's the City Edition Kevin Love 2018 shirt. Orange with the cursive writing. When Nike's, I believe, second season doing jerseys. But we were all my content and everything with Cavs was, can the Cavs have a better record than the Heat come playoff time? No one expects them to get this far. And now they're four wins from the finals, man. This has been quite the journey to follow. When you have great coaching and someone named Jimmy Butler, along with other players, but when you have that, it, it could take you pretty far. It's, it's honestly, it's really remarkable what the Heat and the Lakers have done uh, from at one point in this regular season. Didn't seem too, too fun for them. And uh, now they've really turned it around and I've gone on some really amazing runs. And we talk a lot about these undrafted players. And I think to a T, or rather to a point, it's overdone. They have seven undrafted players. It ties the record for most ever in a series. But some of these guys, Caleb Martin, Max Struess, Haywood Highsmith, had a couple of moments while Jimmy was out. Some of these guys have just been so – Gabe Vincent starting a point guard for Pete's sakes. They look really good, and I think for – for all the jokes about Pat Riley's age and falling asleep in that meeting, whatever, he, Alonzo Mourning, and everybody else are doing such a good job in that front Agreed. office organization. Totally agree with that. Absolutely. And the coolest part might be, as folks you'll see as the, today's thumbnail, we're talking about a redo. If you're not watching the bubble in 2020, if you missed it, you decide that's not for me. Well, three years later, it's back. It was Heat Celtics then. It was Nuggets-Lakers then. Anthony Davis had that three, which decided game three and ultimately the series as the Lakers took care of Denver. I believe it was 4-1. And then on the other side of things, the biggest play of that series when it was close was the Bam Adebayo blocking Jason Tatum's dunk in the last two minutes of, I believe, game one. Yes. And we're going to talk about both series. No, we're going to start with the East, but first – Right off the bat, do you believe these series now will be better, not just because there's a crowd in home court, will be better than these matchups from three years ago? Because the rosters really aren't that much different at the core. The Lakers are remade, but they're still sort of centered on Anthony Davis and LeBron James. The Heat still have Jimmy and Bam. Nuggets still have Jokic and Murray. And the Celtics still have Jalen, Marcus, and Jason. Yeah, I think, well, it's funny because I think when you talk about the Nuggets and Lakers, everyone talks about the rematch of the bubble and how it went last time where 
yeah, it's the same thing for the Heat Celtics, but the Heat and Celtics literally played each other in this exact spot last year. So we're all thinking about, as a Celtics fan for myself, we're all thinking about, you know, how different last year is going to be compared to this year. But overall, yeah, I think the, having that, the fact that it's not going to be in a bubble, it's there's going to be an amazing crowd in every single game. I just think when you factor that in with all the storylines that have gone on, specifically with the Lakers and the Heat, how they've completely turned around their season, I think the these series are definitely going to surpass what we got in the bubble. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. My favorite part is that we don't have to stay up until 1 a.m. anymore, man. This has been rough. <laughs> it's been rough. I couldn't tell you how many games I've, I've fallen asleep during. I made the, the business decision to sleep during the second half of Warriors-Lakers game five, knowing full well I couldn't do it three nights in a row. Then obviously staying up for game six, going to bed at 2 a.m., an hour after the game that, depending who you ask, was a letdown, a blowout, and depending who you ask, last night or yesterday afternoon's game seven is a letdown slash blowout. Half the people watching that obviously wanted the Celtics, and for yourself included, big congrats, but then on the, the Philly side, was it even worth watching? For the neutral fan, like myself, who is still watching every series, but do we want a blowout or do we want something good? It's kind of funny. You think about blowouts as horrible games, but you're still seeing beautiful basketball from half the teams when that happens. So with that said, as we transition from the neutral perspective, I know you were on the Boston perspective, and I'm sure the whole family was loving that one from Mother's Day. Celtics getting the big win, celebrating before. Maybe it was after. I don't know. We didn't talk about that, actually. How do you rate that game from a ratings perspective? It was a really competitive game pretty much until the start of the third quarter, right? Like, the Sixers got off to, I think, at one point in the second quarter, it was a nine-point lead. Mm -hmm. It looked like Boston was really struggling to find any sort of offense, and then all of a sudden, I mean, Jason Tatum was locked in right from the start, but it just, it, it, it sort of just like completely fell apart for Philly in terms of offensive perspective. And when they're missing shots, their defense started becoming a lot more lazy. Tatum started getting a lot more open on the, on the pick and rolls. And I mean, we all know Jason Tatum when he can get going, it's really tough to stop him didn't even seem like Philly wanted to even stop him because no, they were just not. they were just so distraught from their lack of offense but i mean overall it was a competitive game it was a competitive series and the storyline when it comes to the Sixers and the Celtics like it was really fascinating and i thought the series as a whole was really competitive and had a lot of great storylines but it it was a bit disappointing, I think, as a neutral fan to see the back and forth all series long just to see the Sixers completely fall apart in the second half. And I know that's kind of the way they've ended a lot of their seasons over the last few years. Yep. But I truly believe that this was the best chance. Now, I know we we say that all the time every single year with Philadelphia, but I really thought this was their best chance this year. And I thought they had the roster and the path to to get to the finals and to potentially win it. So, yeah, it's it's disappointing to see them just completely fall apart. I think you really wanted a close game, but as a Celtics fan, yeah, I was I was really happy that I was able to watch the second half, not as stressed as uh, I guess I was expecting to be. Yeah, and that's a great, uh, great transition here. One underdog is out, but that doesn't mean that there won't be more. So make sure to sign up for Underdog Fantasy with promo code 216. They'll match your first deposit. 
up to $100. Yeah, Philly, it feels like, Noah, this could be the beginning of what is the end. You know, I don't – there are these jokes on Cavs, Twitter, and Beats coming. Nope, we had our chance in 2014. We took what, Andrew Wiggins, ended up with Kevin Love. James I mean, Harden to Houston? James Harden to Houston? I'm, yeah, uh, we'll, so, we, could, we could talk about that another time. <laughs> no, he is. James Harden, I think, is going to Houston. There's no reason for him to stay. He completely goofed. Obviously, he had that. It was very nice that he took the pay cut to stay and let them pay other people. But who were those other people? P.J. Tucker had that great first quarter, and we don't expect him to score, but his impact was almost invisible for the last three quarters. De'Anthony Melton, that trade was absolutely fantastic. Trading an injured Danny Green as the centerpiece to bring him in. He was massive, uh, massive 6-2, but massive nonetheless playing the 1, the 2, and the 3 throughout the series. He was great. Can't say that about anyone else on the bench. Stands for one Daniel House game. I don't think Paul Reed really had a chance to be good. There's no center, honestly, in the league except for Andre Drummond. For all the smack I've talked about him over the years, I, I think he's Finally, what he had in Chicago in the play-in and end of the regular season was perfect. 10 to 15 minutes, let him rebound, let him push, let him try to get a couple steals, which most bigs don't. Let him finish around the rim. He'll, he'll clean up your mistakes. And I think he's the only center that could have – and they had him. Keep in mind, the last year they traded him in the Simmons-Harden deal. He's the only backup center that's ever been effective behind Embiid when it mattered. And, and obviously that was only the regular season. I think Noah, he's the kind of guy, he's big. If he's going to play four minutes in the second and the fourth, and that's it because they want to play and beat 40 minutes, he's perfect for that. Paul Reed had an incredible two-game stretch where they won both, one against Boston, one against Brooklyn. He was great. He was grabbing every rebound. They're playing through him inside. He was pushing. He was quick. He had the little runner in his game. But he had no chance, and I feel horrible for him. I don't think anyone's blaming him as they shouldn't. But I don't know why Doc thought that he couldn't play him, why he had to play and beat all these minutes, even when the games where he was bad. You need him beat at the end, but those intermediate third and fourth quarter minutes and second quarter minutes, you can give him a longer rest. I, I think that was part of the downfall is with his knee, and he was just worn out from Al Horford's defense and not being full strength when he makes his moves every time he falls, which he still was doing. It hurts a little bit more, flop or not. Ah, you could probably call it a 50-50 split with what's real and what's not. Bench management, I think, from Doc Rivers is the biggest reason. Among the Harden and the Embiid and say we will about Tobias Harris, I still feel like they don't give him enough chances over the course of a game. I think that's the biggest reason on bench mis mismanagement, why Boston ended up dominating, how they found rhythm. And Boston knew the seven guys that would make the difference. And Joe Mazzula outcoached Doc Rivers in a game seven at age 34. Yeah, I, I guess to add one point there, because I don't know if we want to go too much into this, but I, I, I totally agree with your point. I think Paul Reed was fantastic, especially game one in the series with when MB didn't play. I thought he was one of the biggest reasons why they won. He hit those four three th uh, free throws at the end that pretty much iced the game and gave the Philly the win. It's really tough to match up any bench with the Celtics, in my opinion, and a lot of people would agree. I'm sure you will too. Boston is the deepest team in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Uh -huh. I just, it's, I, I was very shocked that Philly never tried going small, right? And, and also with Embiid being not 100% healthy, I was very shocked they didn't give more opportunities to Paul Reed. A big part of why that really changed is because Boston, after, I would say after about game four, 
they really just completely took everything away from the paint. They wanted to push Philly out. Uh, Inserting Robert Williams into the starting lineup was absolutely huge because Philly was uh, not testing him as much as they would have tested Al Horford or anyone else in the series. Uh, But I do agree. I do agree that, you know, it's really tough to match up and, and, and try to, I guess, follow what Boston's bench was, was able to do. But a big thing for me was, was Philly not being aggressive at the deadline. I think their one deal that they made was acquiring Jaden McDaniels, who quickly fell out of the rotation. I thought they could have done. Yeah. I I really thought they could have done more. Um, But uh, that was one of the biggest things. Matisse would have helped. Yeah. Right. Right. I, 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 you could have helped right? so much. You could have put him on anybody. You could have gone small and done PJ, Tobias, Matisse, Maxi, and Harden. Been fine. It, it, and it would have been effective. It would have been a lot more effective than what they were putting out there. And again, you know, I think Doc Rivers does deserve blame. Like he definitely mismanaged the bench for sure. But there just weren't that many guys who I, in my opinion, at least were going to impact that series. I know Niang had a few good moments there. Um, yeah, not yeah. talking about the, the, the knee game. hold. Yeah. Right. House had that one in- incredible game, but it's just like to ask that bench to be consistent for a seven game series is a really tough ask. And then you got Embiid, who's not a hundred percent, you know, Harden with his issues, not being consistent all the time. It was always going to be tough for Philly, but I honestly thought it was pretty impressive that they were able to push it to seven. I I, I thought that was impressive. But uh, going back to the Paul Reed point, yes, Paul Reed should have had more minutes. He's a great player. And mm-hmm. I know Philly loves him. Philly loves him, and uh, he'll he'll get more opportunities. I, I really hope so. Uh, I think, I think he can somewhere be. Else, but I, I'll close Possible. with this. I'll close with this, man. And I, I think he, we all forget Jaden Springer. He only played a minute. They were already out of the series. He had a couple of nice jumpers. He looked pretty nice, A. And B, people forget how dominant, and I'm, I'm even for, I even forgot this, how good Shake Milton was as a fill-in starter and player early in the season. He's not a difference maker. I'm pretty sure Shake got those extra minutes when they played Boston in the bubble early uh, when Philly got swept because Simmons wasn't playing. Back when that still mattered. And Milton was good then. Mm-hmm. But it is what it is. No more Philly Absolutely. talk. We're going to spend the next 25 or so minutes breaking down these series. Let's go heat first. Right off the bat, you know, we got some great cross matchups coming. Is it is Jimmy versus Tatum slash Brown what you're most interested in? Are you interested in the bigs battle? In which point guard between Marcus Martin and Gabe Vincent makes the bigger impact? The three-point shooting for both teams in the starting lineup and off the bench. Could it, could it be Kyle Lowry making the difference in a conference finals now that he's healthier than he was last year? No Tyler Hero for a second straight time. Hero, I think, played two games in limited minutes at the end of the last series, unplayable in game seven a year ago. What are you most interested in for the series, Noah? To me, when I looked at last year, I thought Miami overall did a very good job at doing the best they can with Tatum and Brown. Obviously, they're two incredible players. They're going to get their own. But probably the two most successful defenders from last series with those two guys were Victor Oladipo, who we know is out for the year, and P.J. Tucker, who's a Philadelphia 76er. So I seriously question what Miami's plan and who they're going to throw at those two guys. I'm not sure. Obviously, Jimmy Butler is going to be one of them. Jimmy Butler is a fantastic player, and he's going to make life tough for them. But when they're both on the court, I'm 
very curious to see who the other guy is. And I know Miami is not going to just deal with those guys with, hey, we're going to try to find a defender to, gov- to guard them one-on-one because it's going to be a team effort like it normally is when you try to deal with those two guys. So that's one thing that stands out to me. I'm very interested to see how Miami is going to deal with those two guys, especially how their two most successful defenders from last year in the series are now not on the team or not playing. And the other one is more so how Miami is going to create their half-court offense. And I know Jimmy Butler is Jimmy Butler. is a fantastic player, and I'm sure he's going to have – he's probably going to have a game this in the series where he's going to go over for 40-plus. And I know Bam's going to have a game where he's probably going to have potentially 30. Like, that's just going to happen because it's a typical Heat Celtic series. But I'm very curious to see where Miami is going to go offensively, especially when Boston's able to slow them down. Because I know they have shooters – but they do have a lot of guys who I think Boston are really going to try to force to become options like a Caleb Martin, who, again, you know, has had some good games in the playoffs. Right. Like I think he had that game against the Knicks where he's like where he I think he finished the game with over 20 uh, points in a game um, like they have guys that are capable of scoring. But I think it's Boston is going to really test them and say, like, hey, like. Beat us. Try to beat us, and we'll see what happens. If you beat us, fine. We'll 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 try to we'll try to play around that. But that's to me my biggest thing is where Miami is going to generate their offense because I know Boston is going to do everything they can to slow down Jimmy. And the other one is yeah, how they're going to guard Tatum and Brown because uh, their two big names from last year are not going to be there. So I remember last year Max Truce was also a big defender. That was it was the postseason end of the regular season where he kind of took over as a starter. Joined the starting lineup late in the regular season. Funnily enough, it was for Kevin Love. Now they're starting together. Although I expect Kevin Love to start game one, and then if it doesn't work, they'll immediately go. And he's not going to play that many minutes anyway. He'd probably be better in a bench role for this series anyway, although I think they got a lot of options. I think Haywood Highsmith would be a good starter candidate just for defense. He can use a couple of fouls, start him, play in the first five or six minutes. And I think Duncan Robinson is going to be ready to contribute in this series. Whereas last year, you know, he was horrible in the playoffs. He's had, he, well, I guess every postseason he's had good and bad moments. Different role for him, but I think he's been really effective as an option. I know Boston's not going to lose sight as much as the Knicks did, but with between him and Lowry and Struess, Martin, Love, they got guys that can knock it down. I think space in the floor is going to be massive. I, I, my personal thought would be, that Boston goes back to Horford starting to begin the series because they're not facing uh, a monster inside. I think uh, Al can hold Bam just fine and they can rotate everybody. I think White rejoins and I think eventually Miami is going to go. I don't know if Lowry joins the starting lineup. They probably keep him in this role until an elimination game, honestly. Mm -hmm. So it would be Vincent and Struess in the backcourt. Then probably Butler, Martin, Bam could also be Butler and then Highsmith. And then you got Lowry off the bench. You got plenty of options. It's unfortunate they don't have any extras, so the rotation really won't change. The only guy that can join the rotation is on the outside. There's only two of them. It would be Yurtsevin, who I don't expect to play, and then Udonis Haslam, who would only come in in a blowout. I can't see him getting real minutes. You know, it's not like when OKC would just throw Nick Collison in late in his career and he'd make a difference. What age? Thirty-six, thirty-seven. Or whenever Vince Carter's last playoff appearance was, I don't remember how old he was. I might have was either on Atlanta or Memphis. He was like 38, maybe. But he was still an impact player. Obviously, 38 doesn't mean anything because LeBron is 38. P.J. Tucker is pushing 38. Kyle Lowry is nearly 38. But everyone's a different form. Haslam being 42, he will not play. 
That being said, Boston gets home court advantage, of course, as the one seed, or as the two seed, excuse me, to play an eight seed Miami. On the Heat side of things, other than Jimmy Butler, which guy, Noah, has to be able to set the tone for them from the beginning as that aggressive, defensive-minded guy that's going to get them enough stops to be in it for the last five minutes of games and let, to be able to get, get Jimmy to do his thing? Yeah, easy. It's Kyle Lowry. It's 100% Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry has had a lot of success against the Celtics in the past. He sets the tone. He's going to create the pace for them. A lot of people thought he was completely washed, including me. And uh, so far from what we've seen from Miami, not just Kyle Lowry, they're just saving their legs for the playoffs. They didn't really care too much about the regular season. But that's a guy who can dictate the offense, can move the ball. He's a great facilitator. I think in the Knicks series, he had five plus assists in every single game. Like he's just that type of guy. He's a guy who's capable. He's a capable of knocking down shots, creating his own. He's just really tough. And like you watch games when you play against Kyle Lowry, he's a type of guy where you absolutely love him if he's on your team, but you hate him if he's against you because he just does a lot of stuff that is going to help his team. He makes winning plays. And, and, and as a Celtics fan and as anyone who's playing against the Heat, you just hate that because there's so many little things he does that just impacts winning for Miami. So for sure, I think he's going to be a huge, huge guy to take away because I truly believe if you can limit Kyle Lowry, if you can take away a lot of the things that he does, Miami just does not have that many options to create offense. When you can slow down Miami, that you're, you're already doing yourself a huge favor by slowing them down, forcing them to score in a half-court set. When you talk about the Celtics defense, this is a Celtics defense that is really hard to score in the half-court set. I know their defense has kind of fallen down a little bit in the playoffs. They really struggled against Atlanta with the quick guards like Trey Young and Deontay Murray, and they struggled at times against in the pick-and-roll, came to Harden and Embiid. But this might be a slightly easier series. I don't want to say easier because I'm just hey, I don't want to discredit anything that Miami does. But you slow down Miami, you are putting yourself in a really good spot if you're the Celtics because you have a lot of guys to match up with. But you just got to take away a lot of what Kyle Lowry does and a lot of what he does is pushes the pace and and, and makes Miami play fast and that's what they want to do. So to me, like you know Jimmy's going to be Jimmy, Bam's going to be an impact and they're probably going to have a few games where guys like Struess or Duncan or Caleb Martin or Gabe Vincent, they're going to shoot really well from deep. But if you could take away Kyle Lowry, like you are really forcing Miami to dig deep to look for offense. Yeah, and Kyle Lowry's been a huge defensive presence, as mentioned. Noah, a block sure. in seven of the last nine games they've played, and including four in the first game against the Knicks. He had at least six assists in three of the games, 11-4-9 with three steals and a block in the last one off the bench. 31 minutes is, his, is the most he's played in the postseason, which matches his regular season average. Very different role. You know, Lowry had quite the career before he even got to Toronto. He spent four seasons in Houston. I didn't even know it was four seasons. I thought it was less back in the days of him. Actually, it was, yeah, four seasons. He was competing for minutes with Goran Dragic back in those days and Aaron Brooks. He was solid in three and a half seasons, rather. And I was part, parts of four seasons. That's not the point. He was he had to wait a while to become that guy. He gets to Toronto, and Jose Calderon is still there. And then finally, when we get to that 13-14 team is when he really started to turn his career around. He averaged at least 17 points a number of times since. Became the Hall of Famer he was, starting in year eight, essentially. 
works his tail off. Fantastic teammate. Say what you will about the flopping. I, I think he's better than a lot of other guys, at least, as far as when he does it. I think he actually uh, – it's hard to say that one guy who kind of exaggerates gets more contact than others when they do it. But I, I'm in more inclined to believe Kyle Lauer than a lot of other players in the league, to be honest. I don't know. He, he just To me, he's always been likable. A lot of people say, say otherwise. You know, had those series against the Cavs, but – there was never, at least not that I remember, never any moments where it's like, I hate this guy. And I always loved him. I'm always going to remember Kyle Lowry as the guy that hit the, the game-tying half-court shot at the buzzer when he was like three for 19 from the field for the Raptors against, I want to say it was Miami. Yes, it was. In, ga- in game one. Game one against game Miami one, in Toronto. Right. But they lost in overtime after that, didn't they? They did. They did. They did. But they won the series. In seven. There you go. But no, I, I really like him. I agree that he's the X factor. I've really enjoyed watching that Heat Knicks series, how he set the table for Martin and Robinson, the dribble handoffs, that and honestly, I didn't I've always known him to be a shot maker, but he's not gonna do it for a long stretch. There there were those fourth quarters against the Knicks where he'd come in with like two points, ends up with fifteen or sixteen. What he does really well of is kind of dribbling around, kind of how Della Vadova does it. And yes, of course there's a comparison here. Just the way he, the way I always admired the way he runs an offense is the way he kind of, he pounds the ball, but he's always looking. He's very rarely getting it stolen. So he keeps it really close. Lowry's very similar. Lowry actually has a jump shot package, so he can do that. He can get to the top of the key. He evaluates his options. And for a six footer, he's one tough dude. I think he is going to make the difference. And my thoughts on Boston are I expect an eight man rotation for the series. I do expect Grant Williams or Sam, or Sam Hauser, probably Grant, get a couple of spot minutes in the beginning of the series and, you know, see where it goes. Peyton Pritchard got that opportunity. I think it was game five to kind of come in when the team needed to push. Was it, was it five or four? I think it was five. Five. It was game five. I do expect he'll play. He's been here a while. You know, I think Missoula really does like him. There's some guys just got to tell, stay ready, stay ready. You know they will. I think Tatum is going to cool off for the first couple of games after what he just did. Obviously, playing on the same court might help, but stakes a little raised. Miami isn't going to get beat by the same player every night. You know, it's going to have to be a team effort on Boston's part. And I think that they're what they should be doing, and call me crazy for this, as good as some of his games have been, Bam Adebayo still has no bag. His mid-range shot is inconsistent as anyone I've ever seen in my life. I would be trying to make Bam beat you just above the free throw line. If you get him that ball 17 feet out, make him catch a couple feet farther back, make him beat you. Make, and look, he can play make, don't get me wrong. He's an all-star for a reason, all defense. And he's good. He's very good. I think he's a triple-double in these playoffs. But if he's the one that's going to have to beat you, you should be okay. You're getting it out of Jimmy's hands. You're getting it out of Kyle's hands. You're getting it out of... Martin who'd pro- Martin or Vincent would probably be, other than Lowry, Bam, and Jimmy, the only other ones who could make a play with it. You make him beat you. You have Horford on him. Smart and White do so well, and Jalen too. Jason, so-so, staying with cutters and moving around the perimeter. I think that's their ticket to a five- or six-game series win, getting them to their second straight finals. Yeah, I actually I, I agree with a lot of those points. Um I think when you go to the rotation, for example, uh, Grant Williams is 100% going to be in this rotation. I'd be stunned if he wasn't. 
mainly because Grant Williams, I don't know if you know the story, it's been mentioned a bunch of times when they play each other, but back in high school, Grant Williams was actually known as the BAM stopper when they were in high school. Uh, and obviously they've had two different Eastern Conference finals to play against each other, and Grant Williams has gone run in both and has played pretty damn well. So I do expect him to get back into the rotation. I do think that potentially Sam Hauser is going to be in there because we all know Miami loves to run in zone. Boston's not that great against the zone. So they're going to try to spread out. Uh, Boston's going to try to spread out as much as possible. And I think Sam Hauser is going to be one of the options where they put in uh, when they go against the zone. So, yeah, I think a eight-man rotation is probably correct. It could even stretch out to 10 at one point because Peyton Pritchard is also another guy who has had success against Miami in the past is another and is a guy who you can put mm-hmm. in uh, when when Miami does run the zone. Uh, but as as far as the BAM situation goes, like you're absolutely right. You know, if, if we're going to be forcing BAM to try to score on us every single time, pretty much anyone that's not Jimmy, like that is a win, right? And I'm not saying that Miami doesn't have the guys who are capable to do that. They are. But for a seven-game series, can you ask them to do that for four straight times and, and, and have that uh, lead to a win? I, I don't believe so. And I think that's where the depth uh, situation comes, where you have a really deep Boston team, the not-so-deep Miami team. And uh, going back to what your point earlier, I think you mentioned that you do believe that Derek White will come back into the starting lineup uh, yeah. as, as, instead of Robert Williams. I actually think to go to your, more so to your point of what you said about Bam, try to force him around the uh, free throw line. I think that's going to heavily involve Robert Williams also playing in there. Like, I don't think he'll be the primary defender against Bam. I think it will be a Horford. But having Rob in there kind of being the roamer is going to make – Miami try to settle from outside and and I think there are certain guys depending on the Miami matchup or the lineup that they put out there are going to be certain guys where Miami or that Boston can put Rob on and just sort of let him roam like last year I don't know if they're going to do it again this year but last year they they let Caleb Martin shoot whatever whatever he wanted and they didn't really contest him that much they sort of just said hey we will live with you if you want to beat us and I that's I would not be shocked if Robert Williams gets the Caleb Martin assignment and starts roaming. And Boston will say, hey, you want to beat us? Go ahead, try to beat us. Not sure if they'll do it again, but it's an option. And, and I actually think they will do it. And I think specifically Robert Williams should have a very, very big impact in this series. And I think a lot of that is just going to be trying to take Miami away from the paint, try to take a Jimmy Butler or a Bam away from that and try to force them to score elsewhere. Yeah, we'll definitely see. There's a lot to keep an eye on as these teams get ready two days away. And to your point on Grant Williams, he was a much bigger part of the rotation last postseason, but his minutes in the series were 34, 32, 39, 36, 23, 17, and 30. So obviously there was that close game seven. The Celtics had three other blowout wins. Their losses were in games one, three, and six. So it'll certainly be fun to see how everything goes down. That road game seven win was certainly impressive. And so we come to the end of the series. we got Nuggets next. Noah, make your prediction, and I will follow suit. Everything I have pretty much have said has impacted or favored Boston. I think the matchup really favors Boston. I think the depth favors Boston. Not coaching, definitely not coaching, because I don't think you'll find a single coach. And that, that that's no slight on Joe Mazzula. That's just Eric Spolstra just being Eric Spolstra. He was only 34. Spolstra's Spolstra's got 30, it seems like 34 years of experience with the Heat. <laughs> and he's just he's just unbelievable. Like he's going to find a way to limit Boston. And because it's a typical Miami Boston series, I don't care what the matchups are. I don't care who's on the floor. This is gonna go seven games. And uh 
yeah, I'm going to take the Celtics. I just think talent-wise, depth-wise, they they are better than Miami. I expect Miami to make it really tough on them. It will probably be a very close seven-game series, uh, just like it was last year, where even that game seven will be very, very close. But in the end, I'm uh, I'm taking the Celtics to go back to the NBA Finals. I'll go Celts in six. Good analysis there. Obviously, personally, I'd love to see Kevin Love, who's never lost a playoff series in the East. 12-0 and in Cleveland, 2-0 and in Miami. Obviously, it's that you can only use for so long, just like James Jones going to eight straight NBA Finals. <laughs> I think it was seven and he retired. But James Jones retired having been to seven straight NBA Finals, picking up three titles. Not a bad way to go out. I am going to go Celts in six, much as I'd love to see Miami. You know, I can't, can't pick with my pro Kevin Love bias here. Not going to have a big impact. He talks about his outlet passes, but – Push comes to shove. You got the Jays. We know what they're both capable of. Jimmy's great, but he can't match what the two of them can do unless he does it for the entire game. But we know the only way he can play 46, 47 minutes is when he does it for stretches. He's not going to take possessions off, but he knows he has to pick his spots because he's not a sniper. He'll hit, he can hit three or four threes in a game if they give him the space, but I don't expect that. And now we're going to go to series number two. Spent a little less time on this one. The Celtics one is was the higher point of focus. But Cavs legend LeBron James in his second L.A. Conference Finals. The first was in the bubble. Going against Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets. All jokers aside, Noah, we got a great big man matchup. And I think whatever we think about LeBron and Murray and the Nuggets' incredible young rotation or the Lakers in their defensive master classes, or the hit or miss D'Angelo Russell, or Dennis Schroeder, all of a sudden this guy that's we've never seen on the big stage like this. It's going to come down to the bigs. If AD is healthy, it's going to be very hard for the Nuggets to win. But regardless of if he is, I still think Nikola Jokic, second team All-NBA, LOL, LOL, still the best player in the league, no matter what the MVP award says. It's still going to be impossible to stop. It doesn't mean they're going to win, but he will not be stopped, not even by Anthony Davis, in my opinion. Anthony Davis is one of the greatest defenders I have ever seen. I've been a basketball fan for pretty much my entire life for 26 years, and he is one of the most impressive defensive players I've ever seen. I don't think, like, like I just, it, even how great he is, this is going to be really hard to stop Jokic. And, and that, to me, is the biggest thing. Like, when I look back to their series in the bubble, if I'm not mistaken, and correct me if I'm wrong, their primary defender on Jokic actually wasn't even Anthony Davis. It was Dwight Howard, correct? Or, I, or Dwight, Dwight Howard probably had the most success on Jokic. Yeah. Dwight gets under Lake, people's skin. Yeah. And the, 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 the Lakers of Simbular, you know, the Simbular-Dwight Howard scuffle in Taiwan. Oh, yeah. yeah but Yeah. But the Lakers, the Lakers don't have a Dwight Howard on this roster. They don't have that body that they can actually throw on Jokic. Yes, Anthony Davis is Anthony Davis. But if you put AD on Jokic, you are pulling AD out of the paint. And that is going to create so much room and space for these Nuggets shooters and players to start running backdoor cuts and just get easy points every single time against this Lakers. Like, like it's. Putting AD on Jokic is tough because you are really taking him out of the paint because Jokic could just sit back at the three-point line and start facilitating and doing his thing, right? And when you look at the other options, especially when AD is off the floor, like who is guarding Jokic, right? Vanderbilt, I think, is too small. Rui's not going to be able to do it. 
like what Wenyan Gabriel, Mo Bamba is Mo Bamba even healthy? Mo like, Bamba's a good know. option actually. But I'll say this, and I'll let you continue. I, I mm-hmm. expect Davis to be on the court for ninety eight percent of Jokic's minutes. Agreed. Agreed. And and, and again, like I think I'm not saying Anthony Davis can't do anything against them. I just think that is a very tough matchup for him. As great as a defensive player as he is, that is a very, very tough matchup. And I think there is an issue if he is going to be guarding Jokic one on one where he may be taken away from the play. And obviously he's arguably the best rim protector in the league. So it's it's tough. It's tough. Denver's got a lot of options to uh, uh, to beat the Lakers defense. And obviously that's anchored around Anthony Davis. So that's that to me is the biggest thing is, is what is Los Angeles going to do and how are they going to stop Jokic? And the answer is they may not. That, that really, and that's honestly the answer I'm you thinking can. of right now. No one can. They just, the, the, they, they, the Suns did, and they still, the Suns were stopping him, and they still were losing. Well, they weren't stopping him per se. They were stopping, they got him to get about 50 and 10. They won, but they still got shown all the weaknesses. Now, here's the, here's the second part. We talk about Davis on Jokic. Can Jokic stop AD, or is it is do the Nuggets still have enough firepower? Like, let's say... You have an off-day combo from KPJ. I'm sorry, wrong, wrong guy. MPJ and KCP. What if both of them are off? Because I, I, I thought they'd do it last round. Denver stuck with the eight-man rotation now for two mm-hmm. rounds. It's just Jeff, Christian Brown, and Bruce Brown. No Reggie Jackson, no Ish Smith, no Thomas Brown, who hasn't even seen a garbage minute in the playoffs. No DeAndre, no Zeke, no Chanchar. All honestly, with the exception of DeAndre, no disrespect, and Thomas Bryant, I guess, they could all come in and make an impact. But nonetheless, Aaron Gordon's gotten the backup five minutes. So can AD do enough? And then if Jokic can't stop AD and the, and the Wings are having an off day, could Denver overcome that and win games in, in mile high? Yeah, so that, that's the thing, right? I think when I say I don't think the Lakers can stop Jokic, I think their main concern is we just got to hope we can stop everyone else, which is hard because Jokic is so good at involving everyone and creating for everyone. But that may be the Lakers' option defensively is, hey, we just got to hope that the shooters just have bad nights and we can recover and, and, and rotate properly. But in terms on the other end, you know, unless Anthony Davis is going to start shooting like he did in the bubble – where he's where he's going to force guys to pull out and put Jokic in the perimeter. I think Jokic will be fine, right? Like I think Anthony Davis does most of his work inside, and I think Denver should. I mean, I mean it's it's much easier said than done because Anthony Davis is great, and you have a lot of great ball handlers who can find Anthony Davis the ball and put him in great situations. But I think unless AD starts really punishing Denver from outside in the perimeter. And I'm not just talking about three pointers. I'm just talking about more mid range shots and all that kind of stuff. Like that, that's what's going to cause a lot of issues to Denver. I think if Anthony Davis is going to want to sit in the paint, he's going to have success, but not the success that I think is going to change the overall outcome of the series. If you know what I mean. And then the bigger question, he's 38. We clearly saw in game six against the Warriors, maybe for the first time all postseason, it was his night. For a lot of these games, as good, not great, as good as the King has been, everyone else has had his back. But he's been healthy the whole time. He's taken on bigger minutes than he has in his entire Lakers career, even the year he was the point guard, which was obviously the last time they won. Is this his last chance to add another title to his resume this season? I believe so. I believe this is his last chance. 
Because the way I think about it is if he wins this year, that's number five, right? Now he's got essentially one, two more chances left at trying to get to six and tying MJ. Which I think if he wins five, I think there's a really good chance he wins six because I think LeBron will do everything he can to get six. But he's got to get five first. And listen, I... I've been a fan for a very long time. As you, as I said many times, I am a huge Celtics fan. There are quite a few things I've learned as a basketball fan, as a Celtics fan. And one of them is I don't care how old he is. I don't care where the guy is. You just don't bet against LeBron James. I've done it many times. and Every single time I have failed. So, I'm not doubt, I, I will not doubt this guy at all. He's the king. I know he's not 100%. And I know he's 38. And I everything's pushing against him i just i can't doubt him and if this series goes six or seven which i assume it will just because i don't think like again i think all the matchups the pet all the matchups are favoring denver almost everything is favoring denver coaching depth all that kind of stuff but if this goes six or seven which i assume it will because i don't think the lakers are bad enough to lose in five or four but if it goes six or seven i think that's when you see the brilliance of lebron and it's just really tough to bet against him in that situation where the opportunity is right there for him to take. So, yeah, uh, I, I, I do think that like, so to answer your question, yes, I do think this is his last chance. I think if they don't win the title this year, I, I, I think he'll be, he'll finish his career at four, but if he wins this year, like I, I think the chances at six are really are pretty damn high. So okay. I don't, now- I don't know. Before we make our prediction, this is how we'll wrap this up. I'll run through some quick numbers from these stars. The last series these guys had three years ago, AD was only 26. Averaged 31, 6, and 3. The Lakers, the team, averaged five blocks. Dwight Howard led them with one per game. Davis and LeBron averaged about 52% of the team's points. LeBron 27, 10, and 9. KCP was the third leading scorer at 9. And then on the Nuggets side, Murray averaged 25, 7, and 4. 25, 4, and 7, excuse me, Jokic, 22, 7, and 5. Denver, 46 of 137 from three-point range. That's 33.6%. From the Lakers, they hit 35% of their threes, making 49 out of 142. That was with Danny Green, Alice Caruso, and Rajon Rondo, along with KCP and Kuzma. Denver had Jeremy Grant, Paul Millsap, and Gary Harris, starting with Murray and Jokic at that time. MPJ was coming off the bench. It was his first real season in the league. They had Monte Morris. And then they used Mason Plumlee for the backup minutes. He was very ineffective. He was still shooting free throws at righty. But yet he went three for four. And Torrey Craig and P.J. Dozier had that. P.J. Dozier had that one game with fourth quarter minutes. I wish they still had Gary Harris. I don't care that he averaged four points in that series. He's still a great player in the league. And I hope he's in the playoffs next season so we can appreciate him. All this said, they're meeting again. It's three years later. It sounds like, no, you're picking LeBron and the Lakers to come out of the West as a number seven seed and facing your Celtics. Everyone gets the Lakers-Celtics finals they wanted? Yeah, I again, it's it's very similar where I said everything's favoring Boston in, in the other series to win that in five or six, even though I'm taking it seven because that's just how it's going to work. And, and the way I'm saying it here is everything I've said has favored Denver, how they are going to cause a lot of issues for the Lakers and how they don't have an option for Jokic. But I think the series is going to go six or seven. And if you get that to a six or seven, game six or seven, you'll see the King do his work. 
I don't know how. I don't know what they're going to do, but it's going to happen. I'm taking the Lakers in seven. All right. So last round, I neglected a prediction because I reeled with Brett Usher two weeks ago today. I had no idea how to predict after what the Warriors had just done, what they did last year compared to the Lakers, who took out a team that was small. A win, a series win is a series win. It's a seven over a two. Best home court team in the league, losing several times in Memphis. But Jaw was playing. Jaron Jackson was playing. That's your all-star. And we're not talking about Jaw with what's happening now, what happened a month ago. On the court, Jaron Jackson was the DPOY, for better or worse. I don't think he deserved it, but that's not the point here. There's two all-NBA talents. And you still had Dylan Brooks, who gets under your skin. Well, ended at that. You have the, one of the best three-point shooters in the world in Desmond Bain. You have the best backup point guard in the NBA and best assist-to-turnover ratio in the league in Tyus Jones. Of course, number two is likely his brother Trey. I'm sure you love that as a Duke guy. And there was enough, and they got absolutely manhandled. All these teams that are getting knocked out by the lower seeds are getting knocked out with oomph. With the exception of the Knicks' heat, Suns got blown out to get bounced. The Warriors got blown out to get bounced. The Sixers got blown out to get bounced. And in this series, pardon the train going by in the background if it is audible, this series is going to end like this. Nikola Jokic is going to show what Joel Embiid couldn't do and do it. He's getting to a finals. It's going to be Boston versus Denver. And we're going to get the first chance of a team that can actually have a real chance of stopping Jokic. No disrespect to AD, but he's going to be alone because they're not going to start Vando. They're probably going to start Schroeder, which makes sense. So you can guard everybody else. LeBron can help a little. I don't know how much contact we're going to get away with. No disrespect to however the playoffs have been called, but I do feel like certain players at a certain level get away with certain things a little more. So I think they're going to be allowed to be a little more physical with Jokic. I still don't think it'll stop him. I think his arms are going to be blood red by, by the end of each quarter of this series. But I got Denver in seven. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. It's going to go seven. And LeBron can do everything he wants. LeBron is great in these game sevens, except for 2008, unfortunately. For me, fortunately for you. Yes, yes. Paul Pierce, give him credit. Now, Paul Pierce did just say, duh, to Jason Tatum being better than him. So, full respect to Paul Pierce for being a, a off, off ESPN now, last couple of years, being a Celtics, an NBA realist, not just a agenda Celtic pusher, but being honest about his career. So, credit. I, I still love Paul Pierce when he doesn't play the Cavs. I think his tenure with the Wizards reminded us one last time. Very few guys go to a second team and get redemption at the end of a career. Third team, I guess, after the Brooklyn. He still had a playoff moment. Let's not forget. But Nuggets in seven. LeBron won't get it this year. And I think regardless of who's right here, Noah, when we're starting to do these again when the NBA Finals start up, going to be a lot to talk about. I'm looking forward to see who ends up being right, who ends up uh, on the bottom side. As long as we are correct about the Eastern Conference side, that's all I care about. <laughs> so, I am happy to be wrong. I am happy to be yeah. wrong. One more flex for Kevin Love. I, I had It was really funny. I was playing ball last week. And obviously, I'm not in Cleveland. As you guys know, I'm in Jersey. Someone's like, oh, who's zero? I'm like, hmm? Really? <laughs> I mean, shout out Jeff McInnes. He's been on the pod. He's the only Cavs number zero to ever sh- to be on the pod. Maybe we'll get CJ Miles in the future. That would be great. But – this isn't a Jeff McInnes. That would be cool. I would have loved to have a Jeff McInnes shirt. I'm sure I could find one somewhere. I'm, I'm not going to go to the source. I'll get it myself. But nonetheless, Noah, pleasure having you, and I can't wait for these games this week. It's going to be a weird off night tonight, but I think it allows us, as yesterday did and the night before, 
fix our sleep schedules before staying up till midnight every night watching these games. It's the best time of the year, Zach. We're very, I'm very excited for this. I'm sure you're very excited for this. It's, I can't believe we're already back. June's coming NBA finals. It's wow. It's, it's amazing. This, uh, this year has flown by, but it's been an unbelievable season and always having, having the chance to chat up with you. It's, it's always a pleasure. So thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Indeed. June is coming. Game of zones is coming back, ladies and gentlemen. So stay tuned. He's Noah Nightingale. I am Zach Weiss. We will see you on Thursday. Braden Todd joins the program. Peace.